If you are around my age, you're familiar with the, the writings of the ancient prophet William Martin Joel. You know him better by his professional title, Billy Joel. In 1977, I can't believe it's that long ago, but 1977, Billy Joel gave us a statement that nicely describes the way that our God loves us. He loves us just the way we are. That's the fifth stanza of the song, Just the Way You Are. The prophet, Joel, recorded these words. I said I love you, that's forever. And this I promise from the heart. I couldn't love you any better. I love you just the way you are. That's all we're doing today. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. So, if you grew up in church... You've heard something like this before, right? And we've heard that. And in the New Testament, Jesus certainly modeled it. And of course, I would say almost everybody here is familiar with arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. It's the stadium verse, John 3.16, which you will see in the end zone of every football game you'll ever watch. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The implication of that being that God loved the people in the world even before they changed anything about themselves. Did you catch that? Even before they changed anything about themselves, even before they knew anything about him, God loved them. So it's true. And it's what Christians have always believed. But even though it's true... It's not all there is. It's not complete. Why not? Because our God, who asks us to refer to him as our heavenly father, our father who art in heaven, is the perfect parent. And like any good parent, God does love you as his child just the way you are, but God also loves you way too much to leave you that way. And as we're going to see today, like a good parent, God is willing to even hurt your feelings to get you to grow from the way you are so that you can grow into everything you could and should be, and more importantly, everything that God knows you have the potential to be. And that's what we'll be talking about today in part two of our series, Paper Walls. Moving beyond the excuses that hold you back. So let's pray, and then we'll dig right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for the community you've built here at Hammock Street. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for the love. We thank you for this time where we could take out just a, just a little bit of time during our weekend and make sure we understand you a little better and understand your word a little better. So God, bless our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we talked about last week, and if you missed last week's message, please go to our YouTube channel, Hammock Street Church on YouTube, and check out week number one. But as we talked about, excuses are like paper walls. From afar, they can seem like real walls. They can seem like real obstacles that keep us from doing so many things. Our paper walls can seem daunting and intimidating, so much so that they freeze us in our tracks. And they stop us from recognizing them for what they really are. And what they really are is false reasons and lame excuses. Now, unexamined, 
our excuses have the ability to convince us that they are real, actual, valid reasons for why we can't do something, why we can't accomplish something, why, why we're not equipped to accomplish things that we're very well equipped to accomplish. And the wild thing is, every single one of us has them. We all have paper walls. We all have our own becauses that are our go-tos, that we rely upon as reasons not to. Why don't you work out? Because. Why don't you eat healthier? Because. Why don't you just learn to manage your money better? Because. Why aren't you giving enough to support your church? Because. Why did you stop? Why did you start? Why don't you call him or her? Why don't you forgive them? Why don't you ask for forgiveness? Because, 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 because. Don't say it. I know you're all thinking it. Oh, you can say it. Because of the wonderful things he does. No, don't. Now, if you ask these questions of a middle schooler, they might answer, I don't know, right? But if you ask these questions of most adults, you'll likely get a well-rehearsed excuse, a well-rehearsed reason or because. We all have our becauses. But as we're going to find out today, our becauses usually aren't the causes for our failure to do something that we know we need to do. They're just paper walls. They're just excuses. And they're pretending that they're really reasonable, rational causes. How can you tell? Good question. Well, if after you hear an excuse from someone else, or even from yourself, if after you hear that excuse and you think, come on, you're just making that up, that means it's probably an excuse. It means it's probably a manufactured reason and not a real reason. And that's the paper wall. That's a paper wall that you're hiding behind. That is a lie that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Which, strangely enough, and this is it's really interesting. Scientists have proven this. If we repeat something out loud to ourselves enough times, we start to believe it. If you are in the habit of going, oh, I'm such a loser, and, oh, I can't believe I can't do anything right now, if you say that out loud, it's as if somebody else is saying it to you, and before long, it imprints in your mind. We'll believe it after it's repeated enough times. And last week, I asked a question that we're going to come back to throughout this series, and the question is this, is it possible that some of your well-rehearsed reasons and some of your becauses are actually just excuses too? Is it possible that some of your go-to becauses are actually just paper walls and they're built from things people have told you about yourself or things that people have called you throughout the course of your life? Is it possible that you've invented reasons to defend certain behaviors you have, certain reactions certain overreactions that you constantly exhibit? Is it possible that when it comes to your becauses, your reasons for your behaviors and your reasons for your reactions and responses, is it possible that because of your becauses, those specific excuses you always use to avoid possible opportunities, is it possible that those are nothing other than paper walls that you've created? Now, this is a very important question that each of us needs to answer about ourselves. And we need to answer it about ourselves because typically we're the only ones who can't see it. 
Whenever we try to pass off an excuse as a valid reason, we're not fooling anybody else. People see right through our excuses in the same way that we see right through the excuses of other people. But that's not the only reason that it's critical that we see exactly what we're doing when we try to pass off excuses as reasons. The other reason to know is that people who make excuses rarely make a difference. When you ask somebody to do something for you and they do it right away, that's a person going somewhere. That's a person that's going to get things done. But when you ask a person and they just, I don't want to do I can't do that, you go, you know what? You're not going to make a difference in anybody's life. And what a tragedy it would be to get to the end of your life and realize that you missed an opportunity to be everything that God has called you and created you to be because you were afraid. Because you'd spend so much time hiding behind an excuse that you'd made up as if it were an, obstacle, an, an actual obstacle. It's tough to hear, but it's true nonetheless. The excuses we make are driven at their core by our own selfishness. And that's not the way to go through life. As we've noted before, if you live only for yourself, you'll only have yourself to show for yourself in the end. Well, there's another reason for us to own up to the truth that we've been creating imaginary obstacles in our lives, and here it is. For the followers of Jesus, there is a direct correlation between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to acknowledge our excuses, to acknowledge our paper walls. Because if we fall into the habit of making excuses, those excuses ultimately become our bosses. Bosses tell us what we can do and what we can't do. What we can try and what we can't try. Who we should speak with and who we shouldn't speak with. The opportunities we should take advantage of and the opportunities that we shouldn't take advantage of. Our excuses become in our lives petty tyrants. And if we're busy following the petty tyrants, we won't be free to follow Jesus. Paper walls erected by those petty tyrants in our lives will block us from following Jesus. When excuses are the Lord of our lives, there's no room for Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. And our Heavenly Father has called us out on that, just like any good father would. Our Heavenly Father tells us to stop making excuses because our Heavenly Father knows the potential that we have to do the things that we're created to do. Our Heavenly Father wants us to know that when we can break through our paper walls, we can move past our excuses, we can move past our becauses, and then we can start to live the abundant life for which God has created us and to which God has called us. And because throughout his ministry, Jesus sincerely cared for God's people, Jesus addressed this issue head on. All right, so watch this. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to open up to Luke 9. And in Luke 9, we read about a time. Now, this is, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding through some of this. We're not going to read it. But Jesus had been teaching, and then he'd healed a demon-possessed boy. And then the Scripture tells us he was walking along a road. And Luke writes that a man came up to Jesus and offered to follow him. And then another man approached Jesus, offering to follow him also, so Jesus said to the second man, here's what he says in Luke 9, 59. Jesus said to the second man, follow me. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Okay, follow me. And while it appeared that the man wanted to follow Jesus, 
there was an issue. And the issue was this. He wanted to follow Jesus, but on his own terms and according to his own timing. So the man responded. Here's what he said. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. You guys have heard this before? Now, when we hear that, it sounds more than reasonable. It sounds like the guy had a really good excuse for not going with Jesus at that moment. It sounded like he had to take care of some personal family business before he would be able to follow Jesus. But that's not exactly what's going on here. And when we can see the actual point of this exchange, then we'll know. And we can see the actual point of the exchange by considering a little contextual information. So here it is. I want you to notice that just at the very beginning here, this interaction was more of a here and now thing. It wasn't really a spiritual thing. It was a here and now thing. They were standing face to face. They're both there physically. And they were actually speaking with each other. This guy was actually speaking with the physical Jesus. And Jesus was inviting the man to literally get his things and leave with him at that moment. With him whenever Jesus was about to move to the next place. Jesus was inviting the man at that moment to become one of his inner circle. To become a part of his traveling ministry. What an opportunity That's the opportunity of a lifetime. If that man had gone, we would know his name here 2,000 years later. But the man didn't go. Instead, he replied, "Mm, now's not a good time for me. I need to do something before I can follow you. So essentially, the man's telling Jesus, I'll follow you, but I'll follow you when it's convenient for me, when it works on my timeline. And the excuse the man gave was that he wanted to bury his father. But, and this gets, I want you to follow here. That didn't mean what you think it means. When you first heard it, you were likely thinking, and maybe you still think this, oh, it makes sense. The man's dad just died. And the man needed to take care of the funeral arrangements. He needed to get his father's estate in order. He needed to figure out how many people were going to come sit shiva so he knew what to serve them in the cold cut platters when they came by the house. Like, he needed to think about all these things. But that's not what was happening, actually. Because unlike today, dead bodies weren't chemically embalmed and then put into a refrigeration unit where they could wait as long as you needed them to wait. Where you could wait until all the out-of-town relatives fly in and all the aunts and uncles RSVP. that, That wasn't a thing back then. They didn't do it according to Jewish tradition, especially in those days. The tradition still exists in ultra-religious sects. When somebody died, they needed to be buried within 24 hours. They weren't preserved. They weren't embalmed. They would just lie in the house until such time as you put them in the ground. So that means that the man's father wasn't dead at that moment when the man made the excuse. If you think about it, it makes sense. If the man's father was lying dead in the man's house, would he be out at a Jesus rally? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be out in public. He wouldn't be out there listening to Jesus preach at that moment. It wouldn't be happening. Of course it wouldn't be happening. So why did he make the statement? Well, he made it because he wanted to delay following Jesus until after his father had passed away. Maybe his father was elderly. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was going to live for a long time. We don't know. But he wanted to hang around at his father's place until his father passed away. And then, then he'd venture out and he'd try to find Jesus and follow him. 
Why did he do that? Well, we, we have to guess here because the Bible doesn't give us these facts. But we can make a confident guess and say that maybe the man was afraid that if he wasn't there, if he wasn't present when his father passed, he might miss out on his inheritance. Maybe a younger brother would step up if he weren't in the house at that time. We don't know the cause, but whatever the cause, Jesus saw right through it. He saw right through that, that bad excuse. And here's what he said to him in verse 60. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, Jesus recognizes that the man's excuse was just a paper wall. Jesus was telling him, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to follow me now. Jesus wasn't saying, dishonor your father. That would be a violation of a commandment. He would never say that. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not going to let you, I'm, I'm not saying you can't go home when your father dies. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not telling you to be, to be irresponsible and turn your back on your family. I'm telling you to do something now. And you're using your father as an excuse. But later would be too late because Jesus wasn't going to be around much longer. So while Jesus is calling this guy out, and it feels kind of harsh, doesn't it? Oh, no, 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 you come with me now. Don't look at it that way. Because Jesus is inviting the guy to do something amazing. And if the guy delayed following Jesus at that moment, he might have regretted it. And he might have regretted it for the rest of his life. All right, so that guy's out of the picture. Jesus called the guy out for his excuses. And another guy in the crowd is really fired up by this whole conversation. So he said, I'll follow you, Lord. This is the second guy. But then perhaps he thought better of his initial enthusiasm. And after a moment, he added, uh, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Once again, seems reasonable. Where's dad? I don't know. He just disappeared. You know, it seems reasonable. But, but don't all our excuses seem reasonable? I mean, that's why we make them. That's what excuses are. We tell people why we can't do something, hoping they'll go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Ah, I get it. Of course you can't do that. Excuses usually sound reasonable. But Jesus knew it was just an excuse. So Jesus didn't say, oh, of course, I get it. Jesus called the guy out. And Jesus said to the guy, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you're not all in, you're not in at all. Here's some more helpful details. Now, how many people here are farmers? What? No farmers? All right. How many people have grew up on a farm? All right, a couple. All right, so there are a few of you, I know. You probably understand this, but for the uninformed among us, for the suburbanites among us, which I am one, when you're plowing a field, especially when the ground is very rocky and the ground is very rocky in the Holy Land, you had to set your eyes on something up in the distance so that that's what you could go toward, that's what you could plow toward, that's what you could make sure that the furrow, the, the groove in the ground that you're plowing is straight. If you're looking up the tree ahead, you can't take your eyes off that tree while you're cutting the furrow. Because if you did, you'd plow a crooked line. If you looked around while you were doing it, if you lost focus while you were plowing, you would get a terrible result. So what Jesus is saying is, if you're not going to be focused on me, if you're not going to be focused on the thing to which I'm calling you, you're just not a fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's harsh, but it's true. If you're just going to make excuses, thanks, 
but no thanks. Now, lest you think that Jesus was being a bit gruff by dismissing the guy's excuses out of hand, think about it. Isn't that what love does? Isn't that what a good parent does? If you genuinely care about somebody, don't you call them out on their nonsense? When you love somebody, you tell them when their excuses are nothing more than paper walls. So doesn't it make sense that Jesus, who knows your heart, who knows your fears, who knows your insecurities, and who knows your entire story, doesn't it make sense that he can take all of that into account? And he's a person who also understands your potential, and he also understands that on the other side of the excuses and the causes and the reasons that aren't really reasons, you will be the best person you'll be. And wouldn't Jesus be the best person to call us out on our nonsense when we're just coming up with excuses as to why we're not following him consistently and deeply enough? Why we're not following him as consistently and deeply as he knows we're capable of? Doesn't it make sense that because Jesus loves us so much, he loves us too much to allow us to cower behind paper walls, behind our becauses that keep us from the abundant life to which he's called us? You see, in, the, in, the, in an effort to get us to stop hurting ourselves, Jesus is willing to hurt our feelings. Though it might seem that Jesus has said something that we would think of as unkind, he only did that because he's a good God. And he knows the kind of person you were created to be. Jesus knows that your becauses and your reasons and your excuses and your paper walls are just lies that you've told yourself about yourself. And they're lies that stop you from living the life to which God has called you. Now, oftentimes, when Jesus had to teach his followers a difficult lesson, one that he wanted them really to think about, he taught them using a parable. It's not two male cows. Remember, a parable... See if that landed anywhere. Okay. A parable is a made-up story that teaches a very specific lesson to a very specific group of people. So a a parable is a made-up story. Did not happen, okay? So apropos to our conversation today, we're going to look at one of those parables, and it's one that many of you have heard before. But as we go through it, I want you to think about it in terms of the way that when it comes to God, and when it comes to serving God, we give reasons that aren't really reasons, but are rather just bad excuses that are just paper walls. Now, this parable comes to us from Matthew chapter 25, and it's often referred to as the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, depending on your translation. Now, for brevity's sake, I'm going to set the scene for us. A pastor friend of mine mine likes to say when introducing a parable, once upon a time, because that's how you start a a, a made-up story. So once upon a time, there was a wealthy man, and he was heading off on a long trip, and he called three of his servants... And he said to them, I'm going to give each of you some money for you to invest for my benefit while I'm away. When I return, I'm going to ask you what you did with the money. So he gave each of the servants a different amount of money based upon what he determined to be each servant's ability. And then he left and went away for a long time. And upon his return, he asked the three servants to tell him what they'd done with his money, with the money that he'd left them to invest for him. Well, the first two servants actually came along and they doubled their master's money, which made the master quite happy with them, of course, and it prompted him to tell each of them, well done, 
You've heard this, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, good work. Good work for me and good work for you. I'm very happy with you, and your life just got better. Then the master got to the third servant, the servant who was given the smallest amount of money to invest for the master. And the third servant answered the master's question with what? An excuse. Now, by the way, remember, in each parable that Jesus taught, there was someone in the parable who represented God, and there was someone in the parable who represented the people listening to Jesus and, of course, represented us. So in this parable, naturally, the servants represent the people listening to Jesus, represent us as Jesus' followers, and the master, of course, represents God. And so to begin his answer... Before he reported what he did with the master's money, the third servant began with an excuse. This is very common, right? Somebody asks you, did you do this? And your first one, well, let me explain uh, before I tell you, right? So here's what he says. Matthew 25, 24. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So the third servant starts off by putting the blame for his actions where? On the boss, on his master. (laughs) Before I tell you what happened to the money, I want you to know it's your fault, right? If you weren't the way you are, I would have done things completely differently. (laughs) That's quite the excuse, isn't it? Master, whatever happened to your money is on you. I don't want to hear it. So he continued. So master, because you're such a hard man, because you're such a scary guy, verse 25, I was afraid. Do you see it? It's the same for us all. At the center of nearly every one of our excuses in our lives is fear. Fear of failure. Fear of shame or embarrassment. Fear of loss. Fear fear of something. And if we acknowledge that we're making an excuse, we'll also have to acknowledge something that most people are just too terrified to acknowledge. And it's that fear keeps our excuses cemented in our consciousness. The servant said, Master, I was afraid. And even though very few of us think of ourselves as afraid, do you think it's possible that hidden in our excuses is the fear of acknowledging a thing about ourselves that we've always been afraid to acknowledge? That's the fear. That's the fear that keeps our excuses alive and well. Of course, for the follower of Jesus, we ought not to keep on doing that. One of the commands that Jesus repeated most often was fear not. Fear not. Fear not. God says fear not. We do not have a, a spirit of fear and of cowardice. We have a spirit of boldness and power. Master, I was afraid of losing your money, the money that you gave me to invest for you, so... I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have it back. It's dirty, but here it is. I hid your gold in the ground. Here it is. Don't be mad at me. It's not my fault. It's actually yours. Don't forget that. And his master, oh, he was so happy to get his money back. He said, yes, thank you for your honesty. See, now that wasn't so bad, was it? And then the master smiled, and he skipped away whistling. Did you guys ever read this verse? Did he do that? No, he did not do that. Because that's not what love does. 
Instead, the next words out of the master's mouth were these. You wicked and slothful, lazy servant. So you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. In other words, oh, so you know that I'm a shrewd person, a shrewd business person. I always get what I want and I don't suffer fools. Well, smart guy, if you knew that, as you say you did, why didn't you at least, verse 27, invest my money with the bankers so that at my coming I should have received what was my own, but with interest. In other words, you have no excuses for your failure. All you did was allow your fear to blind you to the opportunity I gave you. All you did was allow your fear to create an obstacle that wasn't even an obstacle, a because that wasn't even a cause to create a paper wall. Buddy, you blew it. And then, and this is the lesson of the parable, the master turns to his henchmen in my, in my Understanding of the story, the master is henchman. And he tells them, take the money away from that servant and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And with that, Jesus is teaching us the lesson that if you, if you make excuses, you're going right to hell. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. It would be an effective deterrent to excuse making if it was, but that's not what he was teaching us. So what was he teaching us here? Well, I want you to think of it like this. Please don't raise your hands. It's 2023 now. So about 20 years ago, 2003, did anyone here consider investing in Apple? If you'd have invested $10,000 in Apple 20 years ago, that's four years before the invention of the iPhone, that investment would today be worth over $5 million. If you considered investing in Apple in 2003, but you didn't do it, how do you feel? Yeah, that feeling, that that's what Jesus was illustrating by saying weeping and gnashing of teeth. It has nothing to do with hell here. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is an indication of frustration and disappointment and regret you're saying that something I could have done for my family, for my health, and for my community, I chose not to do because I was afraid, and now it's too late? Ah! Why? Why did I expend so many calories coming up with excuses? Why did I take so much time blaming everything and everyone for something I absolutely could have done and I absolutely should have done? Why did I choose to hide behind my reasons that weren't really reasons and my becauses that weren't really causes? See, it's not until something like that happens that you finally realize the damage that your paper walls can cause, and that's Jesus' point. Our excuses can result in our missing out on something that God has prepared and equipped us for, something that could have made a huge difference in our world and in our own lives. The irresponsible, excuse-making servant in this parable ended up on the outside. And the master and his faithful stewards were on the inside celebrating. Jesus loves you. And he loves me. And he loves us immensely. And he knows what we're missing out on. He knows what is on the other side of our fears. Jesus has promised us in chapter 10 of John's gospel an abundant life. But if we're not mindful, we can fear our lives away. 
We can excuse our lives away. So if we're going to fear something, we should fear missing out on becoming the people who God created us to be. We should fear missing out on what we could and should do for the people and the world around us. If we're going to fear something, we should fear living behind self-created, self-inflicted, lie-perpetuating paper walls. Paper walls that rob you and paper walls that rob the world of you. So how would Jesus respond to your excuses, to your becauses? How would the Savior who loves you, who knows everything about you, who knows your fears and knows your insecurity, but also knows your potential, how would Jesus respond to your reasons? The good news is God loves you just the way you are, but God loves you too much to leave you that way. So he wants to call your bluff and call you out. Your reasons aren't reasons, and your becauses aren't really the causes. They're nothing but paper walls, and God wants better for you. And that's where we'll start next week in part three of Paper Walls, moving beyond the excuses that hold you back. Now, before you go, here are three questions. You can keep thinking about all of this. Talk it over with your friends. Go to lunch, whatever you're doing. First off, do you know anyone who excuses behaviors that actually hurt the people they claim to care the most about? Like, can you identify that in other people? That's question one. Question two, when's the last time someone accused you of making an excuse, and how did you respond? And question number three, are there any paper walls in your life that came to mind during this message? And if you can't think of any, ask your spouse or ask your family. I'm sure they have a few in mind. And if you come up with any, please tell somebody about it. There's power when you tell somebody about it. And if you really want to move past them, tell the person that your excuse actually impacts the most. And when you tell them, don't be shocked when they're not surprised. Because they already know. They'll be impressed by the courage that you've shown in finally admitting it. Because when you do that, you'll feel such a sense of relief. You'll feel such a sense of freedom, which is what we're going to be talking about the next time. Because as you might have heard, the truth does set you free. And it sets us free from our paper walls too. Amen? Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you pursue us. Thank you for bringing these ideas to our minds and for putting people around us who will tell us the things that we need to hear, who will call us out. Please, Lord, give us the wisdom to listen and the courage to respond. And, Father, we pray that nobody listening today would live another minute behind the walls that hold them back, that make them small, that rob them of their potential, and that rob the world of them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.